Section 12 of Soldier's Pay by William Faulkner Read for LibriVox.org by Sandra Chapter 3, Parts 9, 10, and 11 9. Cecily sat in her room in pale satin knickers and a thin orange-colored sweater, with her slim legs elevated to the arm of another chair reading a book. Her father, opening the door without knocking, stared at her in silent disapproval. She met his gaze for a time, then lowered her legs. "'Do nice girls sit around half-naked like this?' he asked, coldly. She laid her book aside and rose. "'Maybe I'm not a nice girl,' she answered flippantly. He watched her as she enveloped her narrow body in a flimsy diaphanous robe. "'I suppose you consider that an improvement, do you?' "'You shouldn't come in my room without knocking, Daddy,' she told him fretfully. No more I will, if that's the way you sit in it. He knew he was creating an unfortunate atmosphere in which to say what he wished, but he felt compelled to continue. Can you imagine your mother sitting in her room, half undressed like this? I hadn't thought about it. She leaned against the mantel, combatively respectful. But I can, if she wanted to. He sat down. I want to talk to you, sis. His tone was changed, and she sank onto the foot of the bed, curling her legs under her, regarding him hostilely. How clumsy I am, he thought, clearing his throat. It's about young Mahone. She looked at him. I saw him this noon, you know. She was forcing him to do all the talking. Damn it! What an amazing ability children have for making parental admonition hard to achieve. Even Bob was developing it. Cecily's eyes were green and fathomless. She extended her arm, taking a nail file from her dressing table. The downpour had ceased, and the rain was only a whisper in the wet leaves. Cecily bent her face above the graceful, slender gesturing of her hands. "'I say, I saw young Mahone today,' her father repeated with rising choler. "'You did? How did he look, Daddy?' Her tone was so soft, so innocent, that he sighed with relief. He glanced at her sharply, but her face was lowered sweetly and demurely. He could see only her hair, filled with warm reddish lights, and the shallow plain of her cheek, and her soft, unemphatic chin. "'That boy's in bad shape, sis.' "'His poor father,' she commiserated above her busy hands. "'It is so hard on him, isn't it?' "'His father doesn't know.' She looked quickly up, and her eyes became grey and dark, darker still. He saw that she didn't know either. "'Doesn't know?' she repeated. "'How can he help seeing that scar?' Her face blanched, and her hand touched her breast delicately. "'Do you mean?' "'No, no,' he said hastily. "'I mean his father thinks that he—' his, "'His father doesn't think. "'I mean, his father forgets that his journey has tired him, you see,' he finished awkwardly. He continued swiftly. "'That's what I wanted to talk to you about.' "'About being engaged to him? "'How can I with that scar? "'How can I?' "'No, no, not engaged to him if you don't want to be. "'We won't think about the engagement at all now. "'But just keep on seeing him until he gets well, you see. "'But, Daddy, I can't. "'I just can't. "'Why, sis? "'Oh, his face, I can't bear it any more.' "'Her own face was wrung with the recollection of a past anguish. "'Don't you see I can't? I would if I could. 
but you'll get used to it, and I expect a good doctor can patch him up and hide it. Doctors can do anything these days. Why, sis, you're the one who can do more for him right now than any doctor. She lowered her head to her arms, folded upon the footrail of the bed, and her father stood beside her, putting his arm about her slim, nervous body. Can't you do that much, sis? Just drop in and see him occasionally? I just can't, she moaned. I just can't. Well, then, I guess you can't see that far boy any more, either. She raised her head quickly, and her body became taut beneath his arm. Who says I can't? I say so, sis, he replied gently and firmly. Her eyes became blue with anger, almost black. You can't prevent it. You know you can't. She thrust herself back against his arm, trying to evade it. He held her, and she twisted her head aside, straining from him. Look at me, he said quietly, putting his other hand under her cheek. She resisted. He felt her warm breath on his hand, but he forced her face around. Her eyes blazed at him. If you can't occasionally see the man you're engaged to, and a sick man to boot, I'm damned if I'll have you running around with anybody else. There were red prints of his fingers on her cheek, and her eyes slowly filled. You're hurting me, she said, and feeling her soft, vague chin in his palm and her fragile body against his arm, he knew a sudden excess of contrition. He picked her up bodily and sat again in a chair, holding her on his lap. Now then, he whispered, rocking, holding her face against his shoulder. I didn't mean to be so rough about it. She lay against him limply, weeping, and the rain filled the interval, whispering across the roof, among the leaves of trees. After a long space in which they could hear dripping eaves and the happy sound of gutters and a small ivory clock in the room, she moved, and still holding her face against his coat, she clasped her father about the neck. "'We won't think about it any more,' he told her, kissing her cheek. She clasped him again tightly, then, slipping from his lap, she stood at the dressing-table, dabbing powder upon her face. He rose, and in the mirror across her shoulder he saw her blurred face and the deft nervousness of her hands. "'We won't think of it any more,' he repeated, opening the door. The orange sweater was a hushed incandescence under the formal illusion of her robe, molding her narrow back as he closed the door after him. As he passed his wife's room, she called to him. "'What were you scolding Cecily for, Robert?' she asked. But he stumped on down the stairs, ignoring her, and soon she heard him cursing Toby from the back porch. Mrs. Saunders entered her daughter's room and found her swiftly dressing. The sun broke suddenly through the rain, and long lances of sunlight, piercing the washed, immaculate air, struck amid the dripping trees. "'Where are you going, Cecily?' she asked. "'To see Donald,' she replied, drawing on her stockings, twisting them skillfully and deftly at the knees. Ten. Janarius Jones, lounging through the wet grass, circled the house, and peering through the kitchen window saw Emmy's back, and one angled arm sawing across her body. He mounted the steps quietly and entered. Emmy's stare above her poised iron was impersonally combative. Jones's yellow eyes, unabashed, took her and the ironing board and the otherwise empty kitchen boldly. Jones said, Well, Cinderella. My name is Emmy, she told him icily. That's right, he agreed equably, 
so it is. Emmy, Emmeline, Emmeline, Lune, La Lune en grade, aucune rancune. But does it? Or perhaps you'd prefer noir sur la lune? Or do you make finer or less fine distinctions than this? It might be jazzed a bit, you know. Elia thought so, quite successfully. But then she had a casement in which to lean at dusk and harp her sorrow on her golden hair. You don't seem to have any golden hair, but then you might jazz your hair up a little, too. Ah, this restless young generation, wanting to jazz up everything, not only their complexes, but the shapes of their behinds as well. She turned her back on him indifferently, and again her arms sawed the iron steadily along a stretched fabric. He became so still that after a while she turned to see what had become of him. He was so close behind her that her hair brushed his face. Clutching her iron, she shrieked. Ha! Oh, my proud beauty, hissed Jones in accepted style, putting his arms around her. Let me go, she said, glaring at him. Your speech is wrong, Jones informed her helpfully. Release me, villain, or it will be the worse for you, is what you should say. Let me go, she repeated. Not till you divulge them papers, he answered, fat and solemn, his yellow eyes expressionless as a dead man's. Let me go or I'll burn you, she cried hotly, brandishing the iron. They stared at one another. Emmy's eyes were fiercely implacable, and Jones said at last, Damph, I don't believe you would. See if I don't, she said with anger, but releasing her, he sprang away in time. Her red hand brushed her hair from her hot face, and her eyes blazed at him. Get out now, she ordered, and Jones, sauntering easily toward the door, remarked plaintively, What's the matter with you women here, anyway? Wild cats! Wild cats! By the way, how is the dying hero today? Go on, now, she repeated, gesturing with the iron. He passed through the door and closed it behind him. Then he opened it again, and making her a deep, fattish bow from the threshold, he withdrew. In the dark hallway he halted, listening. Light from the front door fell directly in his face. He could see only the edged indication of sparse furniture. He paused, listening. No, she isn't here, he decided. Not enough talk going on for her to be here. That femme hates silence like a cat does water. Cecily in silence? oil and water, and she'll be on top of it, too. Little bitch, wonder what she meant by that yesterday. And Georgie, too, she's such a fast worker, I guess it takes a whole string to keep her busy. Oh, well, there's always tomorrow, especially when today ain't over yet. Go in and pull the great Dane's leg a while. At the study door he met Gilligan. He didn't recognize him at first. "'Bless my soul,' he said at last. "'Has the army disbanded already? "'What would Pershing do now without any soldiers to salute him? "'We had scarcely enough men to fight a war with, "'but with a long peace ahead of us. "'Man, we're helpless,' Gilligan said coldly. "'What you want?' "'Why, nothing, thank you. "'Thank you so much. "'I merely came to call upon our young friend in the kitchen "'and to incidentally inquire after Mercury's brother. "'Whose brother?' "'Young Mr. Mahone, in a manner of speaking, then?' "'Doctor's with him,' Gilligan replied curtly. "'You can't go in now,' he turned on his heel. "'Not at all,' murmured Jones, after the others departing back. "'Not at all, my dear fellow.' "'Yawning, he strolled up the hall. 
He stood in the entrance, speculative, filling his pipe. He yawned again, openly. At his right was an open door, and he entered a stuffily formal room. Here was a convenient window-ledge, on which to put spent matches, and sitting beside it he elevated his feet to another chair. The room was depressingly hung with glum portraits of someone's forebears, between which the principal strain of kinship appeared to be some sort of stomach trouble, or perhaps they were portraits of the ancient mariner at different ages, before he wore out his albatross. Not even a dead fish could make a man look like that, thought Jones, refusing the dyspeptic gambit of their fretful painted eyes. No wonder the parson believes in hell. A piano had not been opened in years, and opened would probably sound like the faces looked. Jones rose, and from a bookcase he got a copy of Paradise Lost, cheerful thing to face a sinner with, he thought, and returned to his chair. The chair was hard, but Jones was not. He elevated his feet again. The rector and a stranger came into his vision, pausing at the front door in conversation. The stranger departed, and that black woman appeared. She and the rector exchanged a few words. Jones remarked with slow, lustful approval, her firm, free carriage, and— And here came Miss Cecily Saunders, in pale lilac, with a green ribbon at her waist, tapping her delicate way up the fast-drying gravel path between the fresh-sparkled grass. "'Uncle Joe,' she called, but the rector had already withdrawn to his study. Mrs. Powers met her, and she said, "'Oh, how do you do? May I see Donald?' She entered the hall beneath the dim, lovely fanlight, and her roving glance remarked one sitting with his back to a window. She said, "'Donald!' and sailed into the room like a bird. One hand covered her eyes, and the other was outstretched as she ran, with quick tapping steps, and sank before him at his feet, burying her face in his lap. "'Donald! Donald! I will try to get used to it. I will try. Oh, Donald! Donald, your poor face! But I will! I will!' she repeated hysterically. Her fumbling hand touched his sleeve, and, slipping down his arm, she drew his hand under her cheek, clasping it. "'I didn't mean to yesterday. I wouldn't hurt you for anything, Donald. I couldn't help it. But I love you, Donald, my precious, my own,' she burrowed deeper into his lap. "'Put your arms around me, Donald,' she said, "'until I get used to you again.' He complied, drawing her upward. Suddenly— Struck with something familiar about the coat, she raised her head. It was Janarius Jones. She sprang to her feet. You beast! Why didn't you tell me? My dear ma'am, who am I to refuse what the gods send? But she did not wait to hear him. At the door, Mrs. Powers stood watching with interest. Now she's laughing at me, Cecily thought furiously. Her glance was a blue dagger, and her voice was like dripped honey. How silly of me not to have looked, she said sweetly. Seeing you, I thought at once that Donald would be nearby. I'm sure if I were a man, I'd always be as near you as possible. But I didn't know you and Mr. Mr. Smith were such good friends, though they say that fat men are awfully attractive. May I see Donald? Do you mind? Her anger lent her fortitude. When she entered the study, she looked at Mahan without a qualm, scar and all. She greeted the rector, kissing him. Then she turned swift and graceful to Mahone, averting her eyes from his brow. He watched her quietly, without emotion. "'You have caused me to look foolish,' she told him, with whispered smooth fury. 
sweetly kissing his mouth. Jones, ignored, followed down the hall and stood without the closed door to the study, listening, hearing her throaty, rapid speech beyond the bland panel. Then, stooping, he peered through the keyhole. But he could see nothing, and feeling his creased waistline constricting his breathing, feeling his braces cutting into his stooped, fleshy shoulders, he rose under Gilligan's detached, contemplative stare. Joan's own yellow eyes became quietly empty, and he walked around Gilligan's immovable belligerence, and on toward the front door, whistling casually. 11. Cecily Saunders returned home, nursing the yet uncooled embers of her anger. From beyond the turning angle of the veranda, her mother called her name, and she found her parents sitting together. "'How is Donald?' her mother asked. And not waiting for a reply, she said, "'George Farr phoned again after you left. I wish you'd leave a message for him. He keeps Toby forever, stopping whatever he's doing to answer the phone.' Cecily, making no reply, would have passed on to a French window opening upon the porch, but her father caught her hand, stopping her. "'How is Donald looking today?' he asked, repeating his wife. Her unrelaxed hand tried to withdraw from his. "'I don't know.' "'And I don't care,' she said harshly. "'Why didn't you go there?' "'Her mother's voice was faintly laced with surprise. "'I thought you were going there.' "'Let me go, Daddy.' "'She wrenched her hand nervously. "'I want to change my dress.' "'He could feel her rigid, delicate bones. "'Please,' she implored, and he said, "'Come here, sis.' "'Now, Robert,' his wife interposed, "'you promised to let her alone.' "'Come here, sis,' he repeated, and her hand becoming lax, she allowed herself to be drawn to the arm of his chair. She sat nervously, impatiently, and he put his arm around her. "'Why didn't you go there?' "'Now, Robert, you promised,' his wife parroted futilely. "'Let me go, Daddy.' She was rigid beneath her thin, pale dress. He held her, and she said, "'I did go there.' "'Did you see Donald?' Oh, yes, that black, ugly woman finally condescended to let me see him a few minutes, in her presence, of course. What black, ugly woman, darling? asked Mrs. Saunders with interest. Black woman? Oh, you mean Mrs. What's-her-name? Why, sis, I thought you and she would like each other. She has a good level head, I thought. I don't doubt it. Only, what black woman, Cecily? Only you'd better not let Donald see that you're smitten with her. Now, now, sis, what are you talking about? Oh, it's well enough to talk that way, she said, taut and passionate. But haven't I eyes of my own? Haven't I seen? Why did she come all the way from Chicago or wherever it was with him? And yet you expect me? Who came from where? What woman, Cecily? What woman? Robert. They ignored her. Now, sis, you ain't just to her. You're just excited. His arm held her fragile rigidity. I tell you, it isn't that. Just her. I'd forgiven that because he's sick and because of how he used to be about, about girls. You know, before the war. But he has humiliated me in public. This afternoon he... He... Let me go, Daddy, she repeated, imploring, trying to thrust herself away from him. But what woman, Cecily? What is this all about a woman? Her mother's voice was fretted. "'Sis, honey, remember he's sick, and I know more about Mrs. Uh, 
Mrs. Powers than you do. He removed his arm, yet held her by the wrist. Now, you, Robert, who is this woman? Think about it tonight, and we'll talk it over in the morning. No, I am through with him, I tell you. He has humiliated me before her. Her hand came free, and she sprang toward the window. Cecily, her mother called after the slim whirl of her vanishing dress, are you going to call George Farr? No, not if he was the last man in the world. I hate men. The swift staccato of her feet died away upon the stairs, and then a door slammed. Mrs. Saunders sank, creaking into her chair. Now, Robert. So he told her. End of section 12. This recording is in the public domain.